How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer. I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I am Derek Johnson. Our throwback baseball stat of the week here for you on your September 2nd, 2008. The Atlanta Braves defeated the Florida Marlins in a low-scoring football game, 16-14. to There were 36 hits in the game. Martin Prado went 3-5. of five. Brian McCann went 2-3 of three with the steal. Omar Infante, loved him. He uh, was 4-6 of six in the game, and that rose his average to around 320. Kelly Johnson, remember that name? He's 4-5. for five. Jeff Frank Corr was 3-5. for five. My personal favorite, Cody Ross, was three for five. John Baker, your dad, shout out John Baker, coming from Jack Hammer Johnson, was four for five. And then the pitchers in the game, Charlie Morton and Anibal Sanchez, combined to go six and a third innings to give up 10 earned runs. Two good pitchers, but not their best day, 13 runs total. So, Dusty, thoughts on that game, and what are you drinking tonight? First of all, I know my uh, my dad will really appreciate that. And uh, Derek kind of slid in there, the jackhammer. Uh, my dad has been pushing forever to have Derek use his nickname as Jackhammer Johnson. Uh, so go ahead and tweet at us if you think that's what Derek Jackhammer Johnson's nickname should be moving forward. Because I, I believe, uh, honestly, I'll stick with the uh, the family on this one. I, I agree with that. As looking for, uh, you know, looking at these lineups, a couple, I mean, when Derek, when you talk about just random names that are being thrown out there, the funny thing is these are so many different eras clashed in one or actually two lineups, if you will. You had Hanley Ramirez at the top of that order for the Marlins. Yeah, he had uh, a bad he, game. He had a bad game. He went 0 for 2, but he also scored three runs. So <laughs> kind of a kind of a bizarre game just in that sense. He walked four times on top of that. So uh, it's almost like he actually did his job. His on-base percentage at that time was 394. Uh, but then you have Jorge Cantu, who was that breakout, uh, you know, third baseman, first baseman for the Marlins back then. Mike Jacobs kind of towards the tail end of his career over there. He was their cleanup hitter. My favorite name actually on that Marlins roster, uh, you know, I was a little surprised to even see it there was Paul Aduka. Uh, He came in as a pinch hitter and he got a hit as well and an RBI. Uh, as for that Braves lineup, um, kind of the same thing. Looking around their lineup, I thought <laughs> one of my favorite names in that group was Corky Miller. Um, who came in as a defense replacement for Brian McCann. Actually, it wasn't even Brian McCann he came in the defense replacement for. It was Clint Sammons, who I do not ever mm. remember that being an MLB player. I've never heard of that name before. So to look back at that name, that one doesn't 
really strike me as one that I remember. But Corky Miller, I do. One of the best names in baseball. Can't forget about Casey Kochman. Uh, that was, I mean, they must have unloaded their entire lineups on both ends here. I can't imagine that their rosters were, uh, you know, unused at any point in time in this game. But that was uh, probably one of the better ones. I actually remember when it happened, too. And that was back when Derek and I were in eighth grade, I believe. I want to say we were in eighth grade. Um, so that's right around when Derek and I first met each other too. So who would have thunk that a, uh, a 30 run game would be at the same time, uh, that a eventual podcast would be developed. Now, as for what I'm drinking, um, I decided to go very heavy chocolate this time around. It's called the Young's double chocolate stout. I got it right here. It almost looks like actual just chocolate milk, but it, it's got a kick to it and tastes really good. I've already actually had a sip before even this podcast, cause it was a little too tempting for me not to, but uh, Derek, what about yourself? What do you think of that game? You're 100% right. That does look like you're drinking chocolate milk, which is very interesting. All right, I'm <laughs> finishing out the variety pack. I've mentioned this a couple times. Prost Brewing Company in Colorado. This beer is called a Marzen. It is an Oktoberfest-style lager, and it's kind of described as being um, a pale beer that is drank during Oktoberfest. It's rich in malt, um, some hop bitterness. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's very similar German to an beers. amber or an Oktoberfest beer. You've been the German beer guy for the last like month and a half, I want to say. You're going to be very ready when October hits in a month from now for uh, postseason baseball. I just noticed the little slogan here. It says, drink like a German. So uh, <laughs> props to that. And we are going to continue on with uh, the show with hot drinks. So we're going to be drinking that up. That is in reference to a bunch of players who are hot right now at the fantasy baseball level. And obviously right now is the final push of fantasy baseball season, whether you're in a roto league and you might only have a month to go, or if you're in a head to head league, like we are and playoffs are starting up here soon, you're looking for guys who are going to help carry you in the postseason or carry you to the finish line. So there's some guys who have had really good second half so far, or might be coming on right now. And we're going to choose a little uh, would you rather for the hot drinks here between a couple different players all the way through of who you would rather have toward the end. Now, this might not be very helpful. You might be past the trade deadline, but maybe if you do still have trades open or maybe if you have the option to pick one of these guys up, if you're in a more shallow league or maybe some of these guys will be available even in uh, a little more mid-tier leagues, then there's your opportunity to maybe try to steal a championship. So and if we're up, incorrect, if, if we're incorrect, we have to take a very hot cup of coffee and pour it on our face. So um, nope, we'll nope. make sure that <laughs> we'll make sure we live up to that one. <laughs> nope. Nope. All right. First up, Joey Votto. He has a 170 WRC plus in the second half, which is sixth among anybody or Austin Riley, who has a 180 WRC plus in the second half, which is fourth among anybody, which guy are you taking the rest of the way? I'd rather have Austin Riley and that, whether that's a keeper league or a one-year league, Joey Votto is actually starting to trend down a little bit recently. Um, the numbers cooling off, I would say in the last couple weeks or so, uh, hitting 195 over the last two weeks, his slugging percentage is 415. So Votto's numbers kind of trending in the wrong direction. And as for Austin Riley, I mean, this kid has just put together a remarkable season across the board. And uh, over the last two weeks, it's been the complete opposite story for him. He's hit 409. He's hit two home runs, so maybe not as much power there as you would think, but still a slugging percentage of 568. He's getting on base at a 435 rate. I mean, I, that's kind of the guy I'd rather take. Uh, because Joey Votto had a really hot month of August, 
but to close it out the last two weeks, just not exactly what, you know, it was the previous three or four weeks with him. Uh, and Austin Riley's put together a more complete season on top of that. So I would take Austin Riley. What about you? I would actually go Joey Votto. I know, like you said, he is cooling off a little. I think he's going to huh. pick it back up soon. Um, if you look at like the baseball savant page, pages, Joey Votto, it's insane. 95th percentile average exit velocity, 92nd max exit, 93rd hard hit rate, 96th expected weighted OBA, uh, 80th expected batting average, 98th expected slugging, 97th barrel rate. Austin Riley's is really good too, but it's not that good. It's like 53rd, 89th, 70th, 87th, 80th. So it's like slightly below where he is in all these different areas. Um, And here's the other thing that gives me hope. First of all, you're going to be playing games in – uh, Cincinnati's ballpark, which is, you know, better hitting ballpark than that. Atlanta's is. Yeah. But Joey Votto, over the course of his career, has been a very, very good hitter in the months of September and October. So in regular season games in September and October, this is mostly going to be September, he's played in 344 career games. Over that span, he has a 311 batting average in his career in that month. That is better than any average he has in any other month in his career. He has a 427 on base percentage, which is his second base, second best month, only behind August. 532 slugging percentage, which is his best month, and a 959 OPS, which is his best month. So I could see him figuring it back out in another week or so. And I think I would slightly lean Joey Votto. But honestly, if you have either guy right now, you're probably happy. Yeah, that's the other thing. You're not going to be seeing them in, you know, your free agency market at this time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you go to either baseball savant page for both players, I mean, they both rank uh, near the top 90s here in most categories. Um, I, I'm just a little concerned, I think, because of the fact that uh, Joey Votto, to me, at least for this particular year, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, over the past few seasons, he hasn't shown a lot of power. And then all of a sudden he had this random month where just the power production was through the roof. And so you wonder how much you can buy that. Um, I own him actually in fantasy baseball. I had traded my heart and soul, uh, which was Tyler O'Neill in order to acquire him. Uh, and when I trade Tyler O'Neill for somebody, it better be somebody that I could trust. And so uh, I do believe in Joey Votto. I just think between the two of them, I think Riley's probably a safer floor if that makes sense i i feel like between the two of them it's the safer floor but hey if you have a month even remotely like half of what Votto gave you this past month you're going to be winning your league so it really you, you're happy either way all right here we got a pitcher's one and this one obviously if it's a keeper league it's it's not a discussion but um for a one-year league adam wainwright or Max Freed. The lead up to this, Adam Wainwright has a two war in the second half, which is third among all pitchers. Max Freed is sixth in war among all pitchers in the second half. Out of all of our, you know, different debates that we're going to have this, uh, this podcast, this is probably the hardest one for me for a one-year league because both of these guys have just been so dang good, especially over the last month. However, I, I do think based off the fact, if you're in a league that you need W's, okay, you really need wins. Max Freed to me is still the pick because he's going to get you maybe not nearly as many strikeouts as Wayne O'Will. Uh, he may not go as deep into games as Wayne O'Will, but he's going to get quality starts. Um, he's posted, I believe it was in the last six starts, he's had five quality starts. Uh, but on top of that, the opponents the Braves are going to have towards the end of the year are not going to be nearly as difficult to face off. They have a very good winning percentage against most of those teams. And on top of that, 
that lineup is producing runs. The Cardinals lineup does not produce nearly as many runs as the Braves do. The Cardinals are not in as good of a shape to make a postseason run as the Braves are in. And so, honestly, the only reason why I'm going free is because of situationally. I think he's going to have a better chance at wins. I think they're going to let him go deeper in games. And also, um, yeah, Wainwright's a little bit older. The way he's been pitching has been remarkable lately, though. Uh, it, it is just, I would say, a scrape. I mean, I, I would be happy either way with both of these guys. Uh, Wayno has just been so dominant lately. Um, and the quality starts, I mean, I don't think Wayno hasn't had a quality start since, what, July the 16th against the Giants? And in that game, he went six innings. So, I mean, pick your poison. If you need wins, go Max Freed. If you need a guy that's going to go deeper in games, then Wainwright's the choice for you. I just, I think I go Freed because I like the schedule better. Keep in mind that Wainwright's most recent starts have been against the Pirates twice. He did have a really good quality start against the Milwaukee Brewers, but then he faced the Pirates again before that. So three out of his four last four starts have been the Pirates. And then you have the Royals and the Twins. So it, it has been a very favorable schedule for Wayno recently so i'm going freed with that yeah i'll lean freed but i mean gosh both these guys have been dominant in the month of uh august or i guess now it's september but last month they were fantastic adam wainwright a 143 era in the month of august max freed had a 136 era in the month of august both guys that you feel good about moving forward i think i would lean freed it is funny though that you would think oh 40 year old pitcher and adam wainwright who you know, he can control the ball. Like he's probably not getting many strikeouts, but him and Max Fried are getting basically like you're, you're going to get essentially the same amount of strikeouts right. out of the two of them. Um, but yeah, I, I think I lead Max Fried for the same reasons that you do. Uh, third one up, AJ Pollock or Ty France. Both these guys have well over an 800 OPS. Pollock is nearing 900. France is over 900. Who are you going with for the rest of the year? This one's a really tough one because you have to talk about when it comes to the end of these seasons. Okay. Keep in mind the teams that are competing for a playoff spot. Keep in mind the teams that have ultra depth, the trades they made at the deadline, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the Mariners are very much in the run for a playoff spot. And I don't think a lot of people honestly realize how good the Mariners have been this year. Um, And Ty France, of course, had kind of a rough go of it after his breakout start first month. He was, you know, one of the best hitters in the league and then kind of just completely cooled off and he's picked right back off where he's left off. And to me, I think where he's hitting in the lineup is super crucial. He's getting more opportunities. Um, I mean, heck the Mariners are two games back at the A's right now. There's going to be that hefty push. Uh, but then you have AJ Pollock on a team that obviously is trying to compete for the best record in all of baseball and get that NLS crown. Um, so it's tough because situationally i think both are in a good spot the mariners three games out of the wild card which is shocking um i though have to say because then you have to kind of cross that off and it's basically head-to-head statistics for me what ty france has done just recently um it's it's what have you done for me lately he's at 364 uh 573 slugging percentage more importantly on base percentage of 413 over the last month, he's hit six home runs, had 15 RBIs. It's right in the heart of that lineup for the Mariners. Um, they rely heavily on him in that lineup. As for Pollock, you know, the pressure's not nearly as much on him, and that could be, you know, a good thing or a bad thing, uh, however you want to look at that. But his opportunities may be slightly more limited simply because there's so much depth within the Dodgers organization. And, you know, they can rest him once every five days. And you don't necessarily want a guy that's being rested 
in the final week of the season? What if the Giants pull away in the division or vice versa? What if the Dodgers do too? And Dave Roberts decides, hey, we're going to bench Pollock twice during your championship week. That's going to really hurt you. We, we know the situation is not going to be the same with Ty France. He's going to be an everyday player for the rest of the season. Uh, give me France based off position eligibility. Um, and also just because the numbers are better for him this past month. Pollock, still good numbers, 276 with a 448 slugging. It's just not exactly what, you know, in, in comparison, I'd take France. I think I'd lean France, but I guess if you need steals, maybe go Pollock in that situation. I mean, you're not getting a ton from Pollock. He has nine steals this year, but Ty France isn't giving you any. So I guess if you need the speed, you go that way. When you look at like reversion stats, BABIP, it's about the same. If anybody, Pollock looks like it's going to come down a little bit more. Pollock might be struggling a little more over the last week or two than Ty France is. So I'd lean Ty France, but given that they're different positions, given that you might need speed, there might be a scenario where you go with Pollock there. But overall, I just, I love me some Ty France. I'm mad that in our league, I, I pulled the court on him a little too fast. I was high on him coming into the year. And then I let him go after he had the initial strong start to the year and he kind of dipped off and now he's on another team, unfortunately for me. Eric uh, for, took uh, Jay Cronenworth from me in the same situation though. So it all comes around evenly. That's very true. Uh, Frankie Montas has been fantastic in the second half, 2.16 ERA, 11.2 K per nine or Robbie Ray, who has a 1.99 ERA and 11.1 K per nine in the second half. I think Robbie Ray, first of all, is the Cy Young for this season. Um, just based off, yeah, I know. I really do. And uh, we have a, a guy in our league that can't stand Robbie Ray. So that makes it that much more glorious uh, that Robbie Ray has had this kind of season. Uh, I mean, Robbie Ray has been as good as any pitcher in, in all of baseball. Um, the numbers speak for themselves over the last month, over the entire year. It doesn't really matter. He just keeps getting better and better, has just reached the 200K mark as well this past week. Um, and he's shutting down good teams and bad teams. You know, he goes seven innings, striking out 10 against the Orioles. How about the time before that goes seven innings against maybe the best lineup and arguably in baseball, the White Sox, 14 strikeouts. Okay. He's going to get you consistent K's this entire time. Uh, the week before goes eight innings, 11 K's. He's a double digit strikeout guy. Every time he goes out on the Hill, as for Frankie Montas, I buy him at this point. I do believe in him, but I don't. I haven't seen the longevity throughout the entire season. Now, with that being said, you know since July eighth, he's had all but one start, and which wasn't a quality start. Um, and he's shutting down good teams too. Uh, Go seven innings, six Ks, no runs against the Yankees. Uh, virtually the same line, except for nine Ks against the Giants. Uh, but he did have his one blemish against the very similar Chicago White Sox. Uh, while Robbie Ray goes out there, seven innings, fourteen Ks. Montas struggled, five innings, six Ks. It's partially an inherent bias I think I have against a guy that just hadn't produced early on this year. Robbie Ray hadn't produced before this year uh, for a very long time. But this year, he's been very consistent across the board. Uh, I like Ray's strikeout potential better. Uh, Montas has really good strikeout potential as well, too. Um, in fact, I think the numbers technically favor him uh, in the long run, if I, I want to say. Um, in terms of that, yeah, 11.2 K per nine in the second half versus the 11.1 K per nine in the second half. Um, but I, I stick with Robbie Ray. I, I like the team. I like the, the schedule actually for the blue Jays is not as bad, uh, in that final month. They do have a couple matchups with the Yankees and the Rays, uh, but they also throw in there the Orioles 
and they throw in there the Twins as well during these playoff matchups. Uh, and that's that's a couple go rounds there with both of those squads. So I kind of like the fact that if Robbie Ray can end up facing a, a Twins team or facing potentially an Orioles team, then you're set that way. As for the A's, when you look at schedules, uh, just moving on to the September month, uh, assuming that you're not playing that final week of the, the regular season, he's going to have to go against the Mariners, the White Sox, the Astros. Uh, but the potential, is, and also the Blue Jays, actually. The potential is, though, he may also face the Rangers and the Royals and the Angels once. Uh, so pick your poison there. Uh, but I, I stick with Robbie Ray. So I'm going to go with Frankie Montas here. I don't love that right now the left on base percentage for Robbie Ray is 89.1%. His career average is 76.4. The MLB average is typically around like 72%. That seems really high. Now he's had some years where, you know, like 2017, he was at 84 and a half. 2018, he was at 80 and a half. So that might be sustainable, but not, you're leaving 90% of the runners on base. That doesn't really seem totally sustainable. And if you look at, like the bat, what it has predicted for him, or even some of the other prediction um, put together, like automated systems with the zips and steamer. Uh, they all have him at like a high three or even in a four ZRA the rest of the way with good strikeout numbers. Montas, they have more in the mid threes. Now that's not the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm looking at here. The biggest thing for me, Frankie Montas has been a different guy. And if you look over the course of his career, he's used his sinker a lot. And it honestly has not been that good of a pitch. So 2017, he used his sinker 29% of the time. It was hit at a 333 rate. 2018, he used his sinker uh, 55.4% of the time. It was hit at a 333 rate. 2019, he used his sinker 38% of the time. It was hit at a 315 rate. 2020, he used it 38% of the time. It was hit at a 346 rate this year. Overall, for the season, you might look and say, oh, he's still using the sinker a lot. 30% of the time, it's his most used pitch, and it's getting hit 315. But here's what has gone different over this second half now. He's using it a little bit less. So in the month of August, when he really got it going, the sinker became his third most used pitch. He dropped it about 10% usage, which is – a pretty fair amount. Now in the month of August, he only used it 21% of the time. All those other numbers were 30 to 50 and it still got hit well, but guess what? He was using his four seam fastball and his split finger more. His four seam fastball in the month of August was hit at an 077 rate. His split finger was hit at a 154 rate. Even in the month of July, the, the sinker wasn't his most used pitch anymore. It was the split finger. So the fact that he's using a different pitch more, the split finger, a lot more than we've seen in the past, and that he's starting to use the sinker a little less when it's got hit a lot, has made him a much more successful pitcher. He's always had nasty stuff. Frankie Montas is a guy I'm buying hard in dynasty leagues and for the rest of the season. Randy Rosarena, 333 in the second half with a 401 on base percentage, 618 slugging in the second half. Or CJ Crone, who's hitting 319, 408, 674 in the slash line in the second half. So when you go to both of these guys' baseball savant pages, it's it's hard for me to fully assess exactly how I feel about either one, except for the fact that both of them never throw them a fastball because they're both going to just straight up tee off on you. Uh, what I mean by that is in 2021, 
Uh, Randy Rosarena has a 336 average and a 602 slugging against a four-seam fastball. And CJ Crone has done pretty much exactly the same thing, a little bit lesser numbers in the sense that it's 317 average, 593 slugging percentage. But when you go deeper into this thing, one thing that's curious about CJ Crone is average exit velocity is actually ranking in the lower portion of the MLB. It's below average. Uh, and then his max exit velocity is nearly elite. So kind of interesting the difference that when he gets all of one, it really will go a long way, uh, especially to left field. Um, he hits a lot of deep home runs that direction. Uh, Randy Rosarena spreads it out a little bit more across the field, uh, but the max exit velocity is not much less than uh, what you see from C.J. Crone. The ax ab average exit velocity is still above league average. His hard hit rate is as well. Um, but then you have other, other statistics that he's ranking near the bottom in. Uh, it's kind of interesting to note, though, that C.J. Crone is not – going to offer you speed and a Rosarena has pretty near elite speed. He ranks in the 88th percentile in sprint speed. Um, he'll give you stolen bases that way for that reason alone, uh, both keeper and just for this one year, I will take a Rosarena. Uh, but so the important thing too, is that obviously CJ Crone has been hitting both at cores and away from cores. And, and that's something that, you know, we thought that he was only going to be able to hit maybe at cores. And he's had this ridiculous surge uh, where he's arguably the best hitter in baseball over this entire month. Uh, I mean, if you have either one of these guys, you should be just licking your chops because both have just been unbelievably, you know, producing a, at a high level. Um, but then you have moments like day of recording against the, the lowly Texas Rangers. CJ Crone goes 0 for 5 uh, the day before he hits home run. And then two days prior, it's home run. I mean, he, he's gone on this ridiculous home run streak. And so I don't think that ends. So if you need power, CJ Crone's the direction I go. If you need more versatility in your statistics, if you need stolen bases, Rosa Reina is the way I go. I think it's more situational in that point because I would rather, if I need power, have CJ. And if I statistically need um, other categories to hit, it's a Rosa Reina. So for that reason, I will take Randy. So I'm going to go with CJ Crone here. And there is one worry with CJ Crone, and you were kind of alluding to it with the inconsistencies, and it has been a huge gap with what he has done at Coors Field versus what he's done on the road. On the road, he is hitting 242 with a 766 OPS. At home, he's hitting 316 with a 1095 OPS. That is a gigantic difference. The good news for CJ Crone the rest of the way. The Rockies have 16 games at home versus 13 on the road. So a little more at home on the road. Maybe it's something where if you're in a daily lineup setting league that you just, if he's on the road, you just don't start him in those situations. But the other reason that I'm going with him over Randy Rosarena, you mentioned the, the speed being an advantage for Rosarena, and it is. He has 12 steals. CJ Crone only has the one. But here's the issue with Randy Rosarena. He is leading the American League in times that he has been caught stealing he's been caught eight times compared to 12 steals and the rays as we know are not a stupid team so if you go only 12 of 20 on your steal attempts what are they going to tell you they're going to tell you hey maybe we should back off on trying to steal a little bit more and since the calendar turned to the month of july randy rosarena in the last two months has a whopping one steal so you're not getting as much of an advantage there because he's been caught so many times and the Rays don't want to turn that into outs. So because of that, I'm going to give the edge to CJ Crone. One thing about CJ Crone's home games, if you do what we do in our current league, 
which is have your fantasy championship the week before the regular season is over. Keep in mind that even though he will be playing at home, he's also facing the two best, arguably two best rotations in baseball in the Dodgers and the Giants consecutively. So something to keep in mind is that he's not going to be facing nearly the best pitching that you want want him to, or worse pitching, I guess. Uh, he'll be facing two of the better staffs, even though it will be at home. Uh, and prior to that, you know, he will be headed back home to Colorado this week. And that's against a pretty decent Braves rotation. And then once again, it's the Giants. So, yes, even though he is having uh, quite a few home games remaining, just keep in mind the opponents. I think the opponents are important to note at this time. Let's get then to another pitcher one, Logan Webb, 169 ERA in the second half with an 8.9K per nine. Cal Quantrill has a 1.47 ERA in the second half with an 8.5K per nine. I wanted both of these guys really badly. I have one of them in Quantrill. Uh, I tried to give up a lot before our trade deadline for Logan Webb as well. This kid has just been unbelievable lately. Um, when you look at the difference between the two squads, I think, first of all, keep in mind, the Indians have no shot at making it to the postseason right now. The Indians are currently seven and a half games back of the wild card race. And uh, as for the Giants, they need to win every game they can to stay out in front of the NOS. So, Number one motivation factor. Uh, these are the non-statistical uh, issues to deal with. It's it's more of the real life element. Logan Webb gets the favorite on, on that end for me. On top of that, Logan Webb's most recent starts have just been brilliant across the board. I like both these guys for keeper, uh, but man, Logan Webb could turn out to be the guy that you know a lot of what the Giants have seen from Gosman and Di Scalfani. He could end up being probably the best. Uh, consistent pitcher by the end of the year for them um, taking a look at the numbers you know side by side it it really hasn't been much different between the two of these guys uh, but man I, I love what I've seen from Webb most recent start against Atlanta shuts them out seven innings pitched before that goes to Oakland six innings of one run baseball faced the Mets gave up two runs in the process gets the W Colorado who actually has had a really good offense lately six innings no runs allowed um, goes on the road to Milwaukee, gives up a run. I could go through this Houston Dodgers. I mean, he's faced all these really difficult teams and he shut them down over the last month and a half. And in the last month, it's just been amazing to see uh, 1.11 ERA. His whip is under one. It's at 0.9. K per nine is near 11. Uh, and five quality starts. I, I, Logan Webb has just been unbelievable. Cal Quantrill has been pretty dang good though. Uh, but not for me quite to the level that we've seen from Logan Webb. And part of that is just the strikeout rate. Uh, you see over the last month for Cal Quantrill hasn't been nearly the same as what it's been for Logan Webb. It's been close. Quantrill borderline at 10K per nine. He's had four quality starts. The RA though, 1.69, not bad over the last couple weeks. Uh, it's also been pretty impressive for him. He had a start against the Red Sox uh, and ultimately one run allowed in that. Uh, he's at a 0.64 ERA over the last two weeks. You can't go wrong either way. I'm going to take the guy, though, that's done it for a longer period of time and gets a little bit more swings and misses. I'm going Logan Webb as well. I think the way it's trending with the Dodgers about to usurp the Giants and first for the NL West and also the fact that Kevin Gossman struggled in the second half, Anthony DeStefani has been injured. Honestly, at this point, if the Giants are in the wildcard game, I'm kind of expecting Logan Webb to be the starter in that game, and that's kind of – 
come full circle from where we were at the beginning of the year. But this is a guy that, you know, Giants fans were excited about when he first came up. He he pitched really well at every level of the minors. Low A, he had a sub three ERA um, at double A and um, high A between the two in 2018. He had a sub two five ERA. And then 2019, he just dominated. He had a uh, 1.85 ERA between stops at uh, single A, double A, and triple A before coming up in 2019 as a 22-year-old. Now, he struggled a little bit. He had an over five ERA, but the FIP was a 4.12, which is pretty good for a 22-year-old. 23-year-old kind of struggled some more, 5.47 ERA. But again, the FIP, 4.17, and you're like, eh. I mean, this guy's still young, but then you get to this year and it's like, well, he struggled the last two years and we forget how young these guys are. And he's just put it all together. And a big reason why as well, he's done what a lot of pitchers have done with some of the better organizations. The Dodgers do this, the Giants do this, so forth, where they're basically like, hey, why don't you just throw your better pitches more often? And he ditched his fastball, which was getting hit a lot, his four-seamer, and basically is throwing even more of his sinker and slider. And that combination has been really, really good. I mean, that's kind of what the Giants are saying. They're just like, hey, we don't even care if it's just two pitches. Like, look at Kevin Gossman. I mean, his is kind of three with a changeup, but it's mostly fastball and split finger. And let's see what we can get from me from the two. But I really like Logan Webb. Cal Quantrill is has been really good in the second half, but I just like – the sustainability of Webb, and I think he's going to be in more games that matter down the stretch. Okay, Tyler Naquin or Hunter Renfro, a battle of a couple outfielders. Naquin has a 382, 447, 737 slash line the last 28 days. Hunter Renfro has a 280, 333, 680 slash line the last 28 days. Now, he's been a little hurt by – he was on the bereavement list, but he was on fire before he went on that. Yeah, I got to go with Naquin. Um and uh, I have some massive regrets from dropping him about uh, two Same. weeks ago for uh, Connor Joe. Yeah, I, I feel like he's kind of just been the uh, the man that uh, the the player with the traveling pants, if you will, that just keeps going from team to team uh, and just gets dropped at the worst, most inopportune times. I really like Naquin. Uh, he plays for a team where the lineup uh, with the Reds lineup can drive him in. He can drive in runs himself. Um, the opportunities are there. The Red Sox have been a little more inconsistent offensively. Uh, Hunter Renfro is a very talented player, but I, I also think that he's been more inconsistent this year than Naquin has. Um, situationally, obviously, Naquin and Renfro, either one is a good option, but um, I, I like the power from Renfro maybe a little bit more. Uh, has 25 home runs this season, has the RBIs as well, 77. But if you're looking for a guy that's going to get on base and a guy that's going to probably score you more runs, get more opportunities, uh, and, and honestly, I think is a better hitter, that is Naquin. The numbers power-wise are a little shy. It's 19 home runs as opposed to the 25. 68 RBIs as opposed to 77. So you know where the valuation point is. But when you talk about consecutive hits, uh, Naquin put together two weeks in which he was on base every day and um, you know, up until, you know, a postponed game that led to a double header where, uh, at the time of recording, he only had one, actually two at bats. Uh, you know, I think that give him another day, he's probably going to get back on base again. So it's the, the kind of situation that he's been put in where he has the opportunity to drive and runs, get on base consistently that I like him more. Yeah. I'm going to go with Naquin as well. Like he just contributes in more categories, but again, the classic caveat, like if you need more home runs or, 
you're behind in that category, then I would go with Hunter Renfro or you need more power in that situation. I'd go with him. Last one, we got a couple of more pitchers. Marco Gonzalez, who's got a 195 ERA in the second half, but just a 6K per nine. Or Dylan Cease, who has a 3-3 ERA in the second half, but a 12K per nine. Yeah, I'm taking Dylan Cease. Uh, I like the team better. I like the K per nine better. Uh, Marco may allow a couple less runs, but Marco's been blown up a couple times too. Um, I, I believe in Marco. I just think that Cease has the better stuff. Um, when you look at the baseball savant page, those numbers kind of follow through with that as well. Uh, and his most recent two starts too have been just dominant. I know one was against the Cubs, but striking out 11 in a game, you're not going to see Marco Gonzalez do that, have that kind of performance. And actually Dylan Cease has had double digit strikeouts uh, three of his last six games uh, and twice against the Cubs. And then he also did it once against the Royals as well, but he's shutting down good teams too. the blue Jays, seven innings, seven K's um, had a little bit of an issue with the A's, uh, but even then it was a quality start. Uh, so yeah, take that however you will face the Yankees, five innings, six K's did allow a couple of runs in that, but his schedule is relatively favorable. Uh, the only concern I guess I have is how the White Sox may potentially handle the latter end of this season. Uh, because I just don't think that by the end of the year, they're going to really care that much about winning or losing uh, more so resting their starters and give their guys breaks. I wonder if Cease will be able to go deep in games that that part's going to be interesting to monitor. Marco Gonzalez may play in some more important games moving forward. So that's the one thing to keep in mind there, but I still would go with Dylan Cease. Yeah, so this comes down to kind of what categories your league plays with. If this is the classic five-by-five five or if you play in a six-by-six six league, I'd go Marco Gonzalez because in those leagues, you know, it's going to be more important about the ERA necessarily. Uh, when you look at the matchups upcoming for Marco Gonzalez, he gets the Diamondbacks twice, he gets the Angels twice, he gets the A's once, and then the, the hardest one is, is the Red Sox once, but the Red Sox have been struggling of late. I like that schedule overall, especially those two against the Diamondbacks. Those are very favorable. Now, if you're in a league like ours where we have K per nine and total strikeouts, then give me Dylan Cease because that matters a little bit more. And he just gets chalked up into another category of a guy who struggled as an early young pitcher after coming up with a high pedigree. People give up on him, and then he has a breakout year. That has to be the draft strategy moving forward from here on out. No doubt. <laughs> All right, let's finish up with our shotgun six-pack. We're going to go through. There's six MLB divisions. We're just going to go through each division. It's the final month of the season. I know there's a few games in October, but really this is like the final month of the season. First up, who's going to win the AL East? Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty obvious at this point in time, kind of the direction that one team in particular there is going, and that is the Tampa Bay Rays. That, that team just does not seem to figure out how to lose – the Dodgers and the Giants for a while there had the best record in baseball and nobody was coming marginally close. Well, how about going nine of their last 10 in Tampa with a nine game win streak as of the day of recording. Um, and uh, they're facing Boston on the day of recording as well. And uh, at the time that they're facing them, the Rays and the Red Sox tied at two. So there's a very good chance the Rays knowing how they've been playing. They'll find a way to win 10 in a row here with some sort of walk-off win. Uh, the Rays are just playing great baseball. They have an eight-game lead over the Yankees heading into the day of recording. That's going to be really difficult for the Yankees to come back in, even after what seemed like a time where they never were going to lose. Well, the Yankees all of a sudden dropping four consecutive games of the day of recording. The Red Sox dropping three, potentially going to drop another of the Rays. 
uh, it just seems like the Rays are once again trending in the right direction. They are the defending AL champs. I got to go with the Rays. I'm going with the Rays as well. Eight games, too much to make up for the Yankees, but I do think the Yankees will make it to the wild card game. Uh, what about the AL Central? White Sox have a 10-game lead. You going with them, I'm assuming? I, I'm going with the uh, Minnesota Twins, actually. <laughs> okay. Is that even mathematically possible? Yeah, I guess it is. 18 and a half with 30. Mathematically, to go. this is the year the Twins win the World Series, the year that everybody counted them out and they won every game the final month of the season and still didn't make it to the playoffs. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Yeah, no, it's the White Sox, no doubt about it. Yep, White Sox, easy, and I don't think any other teams have a playoff chance. Okay, last one is the AL West. Houston has a four-and-a-half game lead over Oakland, six-and-a-half over Seattle. I'm assuming you're going Houston, and do you think any of those other teams, Oakland and Seattle, will make it to the wild card? Man, how badly do I want to see the Mariners make a playoff run? I've wanted to see the Mariners make it for so many years. I feel like they're going to be another two games out of the wild card by the end of the year. It's just the most typical way for the Mariners to almost be relevant, but not quite really. Um, the A's, I think, might have a real shot there to dethrone the Red Sox for that second wild card spot. But yeah, the Athletic, or I mean, the uh, Astros are taking the AL West. Yep, I agree. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that either of the other teams are going to make the push with when you look at the Yankees and, and the Red Sox, even the Blue Jays. I know they're behind Oakland and Seattle, but I still kind of believe in them. I don't know. I guess the A's give me a real chance. Seattle, I still just don't get. They're, they're a minus 56 run differential. How are they 72 and 62? I, I don't get it. On to the National League. Atlanta has moved two and a half games in front of Philadelphia. New York Mets are five and a half behind them. Um, the Mets at this point are just a complete dumpster fire. So <laughs> I'm assuming neither of us will take five and a half for that. I all I have to say about the Mets is a big thumbs down for them. Um, what a nightmare scenario it's been for the Mets over the past two weeks. If there is one department I would hate to work for in baseball right now, that is the Mets PR department. Holy cow. It is a dumpster fire and a half. You go from the thumbs down situation to the GM getting a DUI. I I'm just constantly amazed by what the Mets do to become the Mets. Uh, there's no team that's be better at being the Mets than the Mets themselves. Uh, the Braves are going to win this division. And honestly, you know, in the back of my head, I guess I didn't realize uh, until looking at the standings earlier yesterday, how close the Philadelphia Phillies are actually keeping pace. And part of the reason is the Phillies have a five game win streak. Um, and so that's part of it. But I do still believe the Braves have a better lineup. I think the pitching kind of favors the Braves a little bit more between those two squads. Uh, but it is a little closer of a race than I think people realize because you've been reading for the past two weeks how hot that Braves offense is. Well, all of a sudden they run into a Dodgers team that has already won the series at the day of recording. Um, so that's something to just kind of keep an eye on is that we may actually have a pretty dang good division race between these two squads. And I will list this. So it's going to be September the 28th through the 30th. The Braves will be hosting the Phillies. Mm. Uh, that's a massive series. That could actually determine who does win this division. Uh, and so meanwhile, though, the Braves have the Nationals, the Marlins, and the Rockies consecutively. They're going to have to win a lot of those games in order to, to maintain. They need to win the games that they should win because after that, they'll have a series with the Giants, a series with the Padres, and then that Phillies series as well. Um, so yeah, the Braves are going to have to take care of business to make sure that they don't lose this at the very end. All right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Phillies catch them here because I mean, you mentioned some of those easy possible games coming up for the Braves, but 
I'm looking at the Philly schedule. Nationals a couple times, Marlins three times. Now the Brewers on the road for three, that's tough. But then after that, Rockies, four games. Cubs, three games. At the Mets for three, that's, you know, whatever. Orioles for three. Pirates for four. Then that Brave series for three. And then they finish against the Marlins. That is quite the favorable schedule going down here. And if they can just take two out of three against the Braves there, I think they can make up the other two games over the course of that schedule. I can see that too. I like it. All right. On to the NL Central. Milwaukee's 10 and a half up. So I'll just ask the same question I asked with the AL West. Do you think Cincinnati will end up getting a wild court? Or even at this point, I mean, St. Louis is right there too. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's the Reds. I think the Reds are a better uh, in terms of getting the wild card uh, between the two of those squads. I think it's the Reds. Uh, divisions obviously going to the Brewers. The Brewers, to me, I'm not going to lie. I think they have the roster that can win it all this year for that squad in 2018 there was something that was missing it was hard to really put a finger on it i think that it was that the identity of the rotation just wasn't there right and so the difference between that 2018 brewer squad and this season is the identity of this team is the pitching and that start to finish too because they're not relying heavily on Brandon Woodruff going out there for two innings as an opener like he did in 2018. Instead, they're having Woodruff go out there for six, seven innings of dominant baseball, and then they have Devin Williams and Josh Hader that can finish the job for them. Uh, the Brewers are a scary team, man. I don't know. I, I'm i kind of – if I'm a Dodgers, Giants, or Braves fan, or in Derek's case, the Phillies and uh, the Reds that are possibly going to get that wild card spot, I'd be worried because the Brewers can beat anybody – in any series, especially the NLDS. They are shaped up perfectly for that uh, whenever, whatever team they face, whether that is the Braves or the Phillies. Yeah, so I, I kind of think at this point it's going to be the Reds in the wild card game. So I'll say that, but yeah, Milwaukee's going to win the division at this point. Last one, and this is save the best for last, I guess, not just because both of our fandoms, but it is the best division race right now with the Giants and the Dodgers. Dodgers just a half game back at the time of recording tonight. Who knows? By the time uh, this airs tomorrow, maybe it's switched the other way, but there is a big series coming up between the two as well that'll heavily determine who's up at the end of this week. So who do you got winning the NL West? Yeah, I almost don't want to answer this. (laughs) This is absolutely brutal. I mean, the Dodgers and Giants are their schedules are virtually the same in terms of uh, difficulty. They do have one final series together this weekend, and and it's kind of a bummer that's the case. You almost wish that they could play that final weekend of the season. Um, I think the Dodgers have a slightly more favorable schedule than the Giants do, and the reason why is because even with teams over five hundred, uh, that final series the Dodgers will play and will be against the Milwaukee Brewers and who knows what the Brewers are going to look like that final three games right because they should have the division wrapped up you wonder if they're going to arrest their guys they're not going to have their guys go deep in that series there's no reason to so the Dodgers may catch a break facing the Brewers that final series as for the Giants uh you know schedule is still relatively favorable this uh this particular month uh, and then that final series that they face off uh, will be also against uh, the Padres, who are going to be fighting for a wild card spot. So you talk about possibly being separated by a game or two with the Dodgers. You may have a Dodgers team that's going up against a Brewers team that doesn't really particularly care about winning those games versus the Padres may have to win those games for their playoff lives. So 
that's kind of the series I'm actually looking at right now, October the 1st through the 3rd. And so for that reason, I'm just going to say the Dodgers win the division by a game uh, because I just see this coming down to the wire. And I honestly don't think it's going to be the Dodgers doing. I think it's that the Giants are going to be stuck with a, a Padres team that's going to be really fiery and need need to secure a win or two to stay alive. And, and that's going to be interesting to monitor. That, that series is going to define a lot for this postseason. To me, this really does. I mean, the Giants are kind of falling off for the first time this year. Struggle against the Braves. They're struggling right now against the Brewers. How they do this weekend in that series against the Dodgers is really, to me, going to determine it, not just because it is head-to-head and a chance for one of the teams to gain a game or two on the other person, but also just from a standpoint of the Giants trying to get out of this little rut. Because, again, this is the first time they've kind of had one of these all season long. So how they respond to that will be key. But right now I go with the Dodgers. I mean, they've just been the better team. They have the better uh, run differential over the course of the season. They've been neck and neck. They've been slowly creeping up on the Giants since it ballooned up to like four game leader, four and a half, whatever it was. And I feel like it's trending that way for the Dodgers. But again, uh, I'll ask again uh, next week after the course of this series, depending on what happens. One okay, thing that I that's... don't like for the Giants, one one big thing that I don't like for the Giants schedule-wise, uh, because I mentioned that Padres series to end the year, how many times they face the Padres. That is also uh, kind of shocking to me. Whoever made these schedules may need to uh, kind of reevaluate moving forward because they're the Giants are playing the Padres in a four-game series from September the 13th to the 16th. Then they play them again the following week on the road for a three-game series. So there's seven right there. And then the Giants close the year with the Padres again for three. So over the next month and week, the Giants and Padres are going head-to-head ten times. The familiarity is actually a huge problem, uh, in my opinion. And when you see each other that frequently, that can really cause some flair for the dramatic. So uh, there's going to be some emotional games involved in that. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough for the Giants with that in mind. And uh, just keep in mind, too, between those Padres games, they're also facing the Braves, the team that, as Derek kind of alluded to, uh, kind of dominated them over the past weekend. So um, they do have the Rockies a couple series. They have the Diamondbacks and the Cubs. So they, they've got some filler games as well. It's not like they're facing all brutal teams, and it's not like the Dodgers aren't facing anybody good. But um, it's going to be interesting to monitor. Yep, definitely. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Booze and Baseball. This was the Larry Bird episode, or I guess this is a baseball podcast. Uh, it was a famous number 33. I, I shouldn't have even asked this. I know we're so bad. I just Google. Okay, this is stupid. I'll just end on this. I just Googled <laughs> baseball number 33, and the first name that popped up is, no, not somebody who you would think is going to be some stud or something. I don't even know. Is this like – uh, a college baseball player, Dylan Ditzenberger. Who- I've never heard of baseball number 33, Dylan Ditzenberger. Okay, it's a um, KU baseball player. So I'm being uh, stalked here in Lawrence, Kansas. By wow, that is something. pretty scary. I I will go with uh, how about Mike Batchik, who uh, does the MLB Network radio show. Uh, I have no idea. A very good number 33. I, I like him a lot. How about uh, for your Giants, David Ardsma? 
<laughs> All right. This was a terrible finish to this show. He's Dusty Baker. <laughs> I'm Derek Johnson. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review. Social media at Booze and Baseball. You can email us boozeandbaseball at gmail.com if you have any questions or you want to suggest some alcohol to review. Thanks to Mix Kid for the stock music. And Dusty, thank you to Man Cave Merch. Man Cave Merch. We got ourselves some coasters, uh, some really good ones. Uh, we also actually have a promo code for you if you would like to purchase our coasters, our booze and baseball coasters, which have the booze and baseball logo. And yeah, that promo, if you'd like to purchase a coaster, use code BNB15 to get 15% off your order with Man Cave Merch. You can give them a follow and let them know you want to get some coasters. They're on Twitter at Man Cave Merch. Drink responsibly and have a good one. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Later.